You're listening to the Patriot Pastors Podcast, where we talk about the current events from a pastor's perspective, as well as calling America back to the faith of our fathers. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant. It's just that they know so much that isn't so. All right, welcome to the Patriot Pastors Podcast. I am your host, Wade Lentz, pastor of Barrel Baptist Church in Valonia, Arkansas. My co-host today, Harold Smith, is unable to be here, uh, and he regrets that. But uh, we have a very special guest joining us today on this podcast. We have Republican State Representative Stephen Meeks, who represents District 67, which, if you're familiar with Arkansas, is a a large part of Faulkner County. Stephen, it's so good to have you here today. Pastor, thank you for having me this afternoon. Well, listen, it's that time of the year again. It is election season. It is an election year. And I know that you have been hitting the ground running you know, e- even though that you are the incumbent, I know that you've been working hard in campaigning. Mm-hmm. If you would, take some time and tell the listeners today a little bit about yourself and uh, and, and some of the accomplishments that uh, you've seen as a state rep. Sure. Again, thank you for having me on. Uh, as you mentioned, it's a campaign season. It's a very busy time. And uh, so I've been spending the last I don't know, since Labor Day, uh, most of my time would be campaigning when I'm not uh, representing the people of the district in uh, in Little Rock. Um, I first got uh, involved in politics back uh, during the Obama administration. My uh, daughter was born back during that time, and I decided as a father, because when you become a father, a lot of things change, that uh, I needed to get involved in what was going on in the community. One thing led to another, and uh, I was elected to the House of Representatives in 2011. Um, Since that time, uh, I've gravitated towards a lot of technology, education issues. Uh, One of the things you learn very quickly as a lawmaker is you just can't know everything. State government is so large and so complex. You've got to kind of find your areas of expertise in the areas that you want to focus on. Uh, prior to being a lawmaker, I was a computer technician for uh, Computer Works in Conway. And so one of the issues that I naturally gravitated to was the whole broadband issue. A lot of times during those early years, I would attend uh, committee meetings where they would talk about broadband, but in the end, nothing ever got done. So finally in 2015, because of my background in technology, the speaker of that that time, Jeremy Gillum, appointed me to be the chair of the technology committee and assigned me to the broadband issue. Part of uh, the research that I did is he sent me to several other states to see and learn from them how they were combating this issue. No reason for Arkansas to reinvent the wheel if other states have good ideas. Right. Um, We also took a tour around the state. Uh, talk to as many internet service providers as we could to find out, uh, you know, are there policy or state laws that are prohibiting? And in the end, what we found out was it comes down to a money issue. Um, there are certain parts of the state where you just cannot make a business case 
to run uh, the internet infrastructure. It's very similar to the electrification issue of past century or the, you know, uh, telephone uh, service. Same kind of deal. You, it's very difficult to, you know, make a profit going into some place where uh, it's so rural you just can't get enough subscribers. And so um, I've been pushing, trying to find resources for this for, for a long, long time. And unfortunately, when the pandemic hit, Arkansas, because we we talked about it in the past, but I couldn't get the administration or my colleagues to and start investing the money that's needed. So Arkansas landed in 50th place as far as internet connectivity. Well, if nothing else, this pandemic has shown us just how important it is to make sure that reliable, affordable, high-speed internet is available to all our Kansans. Uh, as everybody knows, it affects everything from you know how our children get educated, healthcare access, uh, business opportunities, and even entertainment. Uh, you know we all enjoy watching things on uh, TV or streaming podcasts such as this. And so uh, every time I'd see the governor, I was bugging him. Hey, what about broadband? What about broadband? And uh, finally, in August, he uh, uh, called myself, the speaker, the pro tem, and Senator Jane English, who's kind of been my Senate cohort on mm -hmm. this. We had a meeting at his in his office, and he asked how much I felt we should invest in broadband. I told him, how about $100 million? Uh, he felt that that was something we could do. A little bit to my surprise, but he felt we could mm -hmm. do that. The governor understands the importance of this and has been very supportive of the effort. Uh, his next question was, how do we then get that out to our providers, make these grants available? I gave him two options. He chose what I thought was probably the wisest option. The uh, legislature approved the expenditure the following two weeks. And uh, as of today, we've got broadband internet going out across the state. Now, just to give you an idea of the size of the issue, if you, there's about 1.3 million households in the state. Uh, it can cost anywhere from one to 3,000 to connect each household. You subtract what's already connected, and this is about a $1 billion problem that wow. is gonna have to be invested between the state, the federal government, and the providers themselves. Hmm. So the $100 million is obviously not gonna solve the problem but it's going to go a long way. And hopefully by the time this is completed, we will no longer be 50th. Uh, so I want to make sure the listeners don't get the false idea or assumption that everybody's going to get high-speed internet because of this. They I, won't. I see. Um, we think it'll help about 40,000 households. Um, so again, it's not going to help everybody. It's a, it's a big step in the right direction, direction though, though. Yeah. for sure, for sure. Well, I'll tell you, you, you are one of our most conservative mm -hmm. uh, state reps in the state mm -hmm. of Arkansas, and we really appreciate all that you have done. And, and looking at all the endorsements that you have received from the Arkansas Right to Life, you have an A rating from the NRA, uh, the Sheriff of Faulkner County uh, endorses you, as well as uh, a, a Justice of the Peace, Jerry Boyer. You have also received awards from a, a Family Council Statement of the Year, a Statesman of the Year Award, Pro-Life Legislative Score, 100%, and uh, other things. So uh, tell us uh, 
how your faith impacts you as a state representative? Sure. Uh, it's one of the foundations that guides me in my decision making. You know, I was given some advice very early on as a freshman lawmaker from, from actually a congressman. He told me that if you always vote your principles, 10 years later, you'll always be able to explain why you voted the way you voted. If you vote because of political pressures, 10 years later, if someone asks you why you did what you did, you'll never be able to remember what those pressures were. You'll never be able to explain what your votes are. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you always vote your principle, you're always going to be able to look yourself in the face and be proud of the guy that's staring back at you in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know like yourself and your listeners, people get frustrated with politicians who say one thing and then do another thing. Right. So I've purposed in my own political career to try to be the politician, to try to live up to the standards that I expected of the guys that I was supporting, of the guys that I was voting for, that when I gave my word concerning something, that I was going to follow through on it. A uh, perfect example, this amendment uh, issue one tax on the, the road tax. Mm-hmm. Back when it was originally passed in 2010, I was part of the legislative body that made the promise that this was going to be in our Constitution for 10 years. After the 10 years, it was going to go away. And so part of the main reason why I'm opposed to that is because I gave my word we were only going to have it for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I believe it's important to stay with what, you, what you've meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, on the pro-life issue, that's clearly something that goes back to our faith and believing that uh, all life comes from God, that, you know, the scriptures talk about he knows us uh, in our mother's wombs. Uh, and understanding, you know, that's a, that's a child in there. Mm-hmm. You know, the other side wants to call it a fetus and what's up. Sure. And understanding that those that have had abortions, it's not just you go, you have an abortion and you're done with it. It, it affects that mother and mm-hmm. the father and that family for the rest of their lives. And, and so, right. Right. um, I've always been pro-life, will be pro-life. And I believe that, you know, at some point, if it costs me an election, I would rather lose an election by standing firm on my principles than compromising to try to get ahead in the political realm. Right. And what I found is, not surprisingly, if you stand by your principles, you keep your word to your constituents. I believe you don't have to worry about getting reelected. I believe the citizens of the, of the district will reward me with reelection because I've done the job that they expect me to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and speaking about, you know, being reelected and talking about the importance of abortion, that leads us to talk about a little bit about your opponent. You do have an, an opponent mm-hmm. uh, whose name is Steve Wilson. I believe he's from the Greenbrier area, he is. Mm-hmm. and uh, he's running on the Democratic uh, Party in, as a Democrat. And uh, don't know a whole lot about him. He, he no doubt a, a good taxpaying citizen, um, but he's certainly not going to have the conservative values that you hold to, mm-hmm. and uh, that you cherish, and that we as the con- constituents cherish as well. And the, the biggest thing is that he's running as a Democrat, 
even though he himself may be opposed to abortion, he is lining himself up with a party that really is their big thing, that they are for abortion. And, uh, and so uh, tell us maybe some other things that separates you from your opponent. Sure. Uh, so I've only met Steve a few times. Um, he seems like he's a good fellow, like you said. Uh, he was the uh, uh, superintendent up at Woolly Hollow State Park, and as far as I can tell, he, he's had a had a good career up there. And um, other, as far as his positions on things, I really don't know where he stands on a lot of stuff. Um, one of the the things that I think drives voters mad or gets voters mad is when you have two political challengers who are throwing mud at each other all the time right treating the voters like their children you know vote for me because the other guy is an evil scoundrel and i have never done that i believe it's better to go before the voters tell them what you stand for tell them what you would like to accomplish and then allow them to make the choice that they feel is best to represent the, the district. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as I know, like I said, my challenger is not taking any positions on anything. He may have, I don't know. I, I don't, uh, uh, you know, go, I think he's, he doesn't have a website. Um, I think he does some stuff on Facebook, but I never look at his stuff. Mm-hmm. I just concentrate on what I'm offering to the community. Right. But as you said, he has decided to plant his flag with the Democratic Party. Um, as we all know, the Democrats uh, promote uh, abortion on demand. Uh, they've also, during this election cycle, have been pushing the defunding of the police. Uh, many years ago, talking about our Christian faith, of course, they kicked God out of the cons- their party platform. Whereas if you look in the Republican platform, um, God and the importance of in God we trust is right there at the beginning of the Arkansas state Republican platform. Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, when it comes to differentiating, uh, you know, hopefully my views are pretty foundational where I'm at. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as you've talked about some of my endorsements, I am 100% pro-life uh, because of our activities. Arkansas is one of the most pro-life states in the country. Yes. Um, I have an A rating with the NRA. I believe one of the most fundamental liberties that we have as citizens is the right to defend ourselves. Yes. Um, the um, pro-family legislative uh, scorecard, I received a 100% score on that. I believe one of the uh, ways you build a strong community is you have to have strong families mm-hmm. and uh, s- traditional families. You have to um, uh, create opportunities for businesses to flourish. The majority of our businesses, mo- the majority of our employers in the state are small businesses. And so it's important to reduce regulations uh, over the past Oh, I guess it's been three or four years. You haven't heard a whole lot of news, but we have eliminated hundreds of pages of uh, no longer necessary regulations in the state of Arkansas mm-hmm. to try to allow the average Arkansan the opportunity to start and grow their own small business, to provide for their family, for them to be able to pursue their American dream. Sure. Uh, you know, of course, the pandemic has hurt some of that. 
but hopefully, you know, we are quickly starting to recover and, uh, you know, we'll get back on track once we get past all of this and preferably sooner rather than later. Absolutely. You, you mentioned the pandemic. I, I, I saw just before we, we had recorded this podcast that the governor, Asa Hutchinson, has uh, made a proclamation. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about that, what that means? Sure. So the uh, governor issued a proclamation calling on all Arkansans to set a day aside for uh, prayer for the uh, the state and for the nation. And uh, and I believe it's this weekend that he's he's called for that. So uh, likewise, I you know encourage Arkansans to uh, you know to be in prayer for uh, mm-hmm. for our country and for quick recovery. You know, and this is a tradition these prayer proclamations that go all the way back to the founding of our nation. It was not unusual for President Washington, uh, Thomas Jefferson, uh, you know, many of the governors to issue these prayer proclamations and call the citizens of the of the country to days of prayer and fasting for the benefit of our people. Sure. You know, there's there's things that the governor has uh, decided on and done some things here recently that I disagree with and we're not all going to agree on everything right but uh for him to do this that means a lot to me mm-hmm. and uh because you know he he is acknowledging that god is sovereign he's in control and we need to call out to him in a day of uh, prayer and fasting and that is just means a lot to me as a pastor mm-hmm. and oh how i wish that many more governors would do the same thing mm-hmm. uh i tell you the governor of California, Governor Newsom, he's not going to make a day of uh, uh, prayer no. and a proclamation. But uh, uh, we are in difficult days. If there's ever been a time for a nation to turn to the Lord, it is now. And uh, with, with that said, asking a politician, asking a state representative, how big is the presidential election coming up. Oh, it's huge. It's going to determine the the path of our country. And the election is more than just about the two men it's running. It's about two worldviews and two different philosophies. Mm -hmm. Do you believe in the Judeo-Christian values that our country was founded on, the things that made us the most prosperous nation in the world, or... Do we switch gears and go with the other ideology that uh, wants to take us more towards socialism and more government control? Um, the prosperity of our country is based upon essentially three C's, Christianity, our Constitution, and capitalism. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which we get away from those three foundational principles is the degree to which we begin losing our freedom and we start losing our uh, uh, prosperity. Right. Um, our, uh, you know, our founding fathers said time and time again that our nation was to be a Christian nation. Now that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be a Christian. That doesn't mean that uh, you know the there's going to be a national church. But it meant that the people of the country were going to be overwhelmingly Christian and we're going to follow the biblical principles laid out in Christianity because you can't have a government 
control all the people and the people remain free. The people have to govern themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, de Tocqueville said in his book, Coming uh, Democracy in America, that what set the American independence movement apart from what was, say, going on in France and some of the European countries is we have a Christian value system that tempers human nature that allows for our freedom to become a blessing to us. Because mm. there's two ways you can look at freedom. One way you can look at freedom is freedom is the opportunity to do what's right. Freedom is the opportunity for you to be the best that you can possibly be. The other way of looking at freedom is freedom is the freedom of response from responsibility. Mm -hmm. The freedom to do whatever I want without consequences. Right. One of those definitions of freedom leads to prosperity, leads to growth, leads to betterment. The other definition of freedom leads to ultimate destruction. That's true. And when we embrace the Christian version of freedom, understanding that we've got to keep our sins in check and you know our reliance mm -hmm. on the Lord, it will lead us to prosperity. When we ignore that and decide we want to go with this other worldview because we don't want to have accountability, we've all seen time and time again, history repeats itself, what the outcome of that is. Yes. And unfortunately, the Democrats want to lead us down the socialist path. It always leads to destruction. There's some, nothing that they're going to do different. You always hear these excuses about, well, we're going to do this different, or we're going to do that different, or we're smarter. No, it, mm -hmm. human nature is ultimately going to lead down the path of destruction. Sure. And we've seen it, you know, Israel went down that yes. several times. Yes. Uh, you know, recently in modern history, we're watching it happen in Venezuela and other countries that have embraced socialism. And uh, so hopefully we as Americans will make the correct decision. And, you know, this is not the first big pandemic we've been through as a nation. That's right. If we go back to the 19, uh, 18, 19, 19, Spanish flu mm -hmm. pandemic, right as that pandemic was coming to an end, and it was a lot of the same problems we're facing now, you know, face masks and mm -hmm. social distancing and businesses being closed. And during that presidential election in 1920, America chose the conservative Republican ticket, and that led to the prosperity of the early 1920s. Right, right. Hopefully, once again, we will make learn from history, we'll make that wise decision, and as we come out of this pandemic, we will begin to prosper once again. Mm -hmm. However, if we choose to go down this socialist path, you know, we're going to see trouble. Trouble. Yeah, absolutely. Trouble for sure. I, uh, I noticed that that you do some public speaking mm -hmm. and uh, and you speak on topics such as the faith of our founders, mm -hmm. uh, God and the Constitution mm -hmm. and uh, among other things. I need to have you come to Barrel sometime yeah. and, and speak on these subjects. That would be mm -hmm. tremendous. Yep. Well, and what I do on these uh, PowerPoints is I use the words of the Founding Fathers mm -hmm. to talk about what their view of the role of Christianity in government should play, mm -hmm. what happens if we don't. So the warnings they gave us about the questions we're facing today and what the solutions to those are. Mm -hmm. uh, and then in the other one about God and the Constitution, I talk about the godly influence of the Christian values you find in the Constitution. Yes. You know, in the Declaration, the Creator is mentioned four times. 
God is not mentioned per se in the Constitution, except in the closing. They closed the Constitution in the year of our Lord, not Mm -hmm. a Lord, the Lord. They personalized it, our Lord. Right. Uh, And you can see some of these Christian influences within the Constitution. And uh, those are some of the things that I I talk about. And I would uh, encourage your listeners, if they are interested in the subject and want to learn more, there's a website they can go to. It's David Barton's website. It's called Wall Builders. I think wallbuilders.com. Yes. And you can go on that website into their library and you can read some of the documents from the earliest days. You know, Mm -hmm. for example... Uh, it was very common for pastors of those days to preach about elections and the importance of Christians getting involved in yes. the election process and, and voting. I think for too long we've been fed this idea that, well, you know, keep your Christianity in your church and we're going to do something different over here in right. the public square. Right. And, and that was not the intention. Uh, I read a sermon that was preached in front of the New Hampshire General Assembly last week where the pastor was talking about the values that the citizens should expect from their leaders. Mm-hmm. And those are things that I as a lawmaker want to know so that I understand the founding principles. But yes. I think it's also important for our citizens to go back and relearn that history that has been uh, lost to us for so long. I think most of us understand we're a Christian nation. But if I were to ask you to defend that, mm-hmm. how many people could? Sure. You know, we, sure. We, we've all been told, well, Tom, you know, George Washington, he was, he was a deist. Well, no, he wasn't. Uh, his own granddaughter, who lived with them for 20 years, said that President Washington, after he ate his evening meal, he retired to his study for an hour every evening to read the scriptures. Wow. I mean, how many of us are that dedicated? Right, right. Uh, um, he rode two hours to church evidently every week. You know, that would be like someone from Bologna driving to Fort Smith every Sunday for church. I mean, right. that, that, that two right. hours. Amazing. Uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson, who probably one of the least religious of the founding fathers, he went to church at the United States Capitol. Most people don't know this, but church, the one of the largest congregations in the United States by the time of the Civil War was actually held in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., and uh, a lot of the the people back then, they'd keep diaries. Uh-huh. And there were several uh, folks who commented on Thomas Jefferson. Unless something came up that prevent, prevented him, mm-hmm. he was always at church. Sure. And, uh, you know, because he felt Christianity was important, that he should set the example as a chief magistrate and be at church every Sunday. Absolutely. And uh, so, you know, there's all that back from our founding fathers but we don't talk about it. We don't hear about it enough yes. today. You know, there's an Old Testament verse that says, and they were destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we're seeing today in America. We are being destroyed from within because so many of our citizens do not have the knowledge of the Constitution. They do not have the knowledge of our, uh, of our history as a nation and its Christian values upon which it was built. Um, was it perfect? Not even mm-hmm. close. Uh, but nevertheless, it was built upon Christian foundations, Christian principles, and we certainly need to to build upon that once again. Let me ask you this as we close. Um, what would you say to a pastor who is listening today who, who doesn't live in our district, 
but is struggling with that aspect of how much do I get involved uh, with politics uh, that I'm not uh, I'm not overstepping my bounds uh, per se. Um, what would you say to that pastor to encourage him to get involved as a, as a pastor, as a man of God? Sure. Uh, obviously, I think the first step is, of course, to approach the throne of God, just receive wisdom from God on mm-hmm. what is the best way to, to approach the subject. But I think it's very important for pastors to get involved and, and preach about the issues of the day. Uh, I know there is a lot of concern about the uh, it's called the Johnson Amendment that says that, you know, churches have to remain neutral and so forth. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in a lot of these issues, God doesn't remain neutral on. That's right. Uh, you know, on the abortion issue, God has a principle on which is the best way to go on, uh, you know, issues relating, relating to money. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, on, on there about how we should guide ethics. Yes. The Bible obviously is our guidebook to to uh, ethics. Um, you know, education, pretty much any issue that you can think of is that some way going to be addressed in the scriptures. And it's important, I think, for pastors to make sure that the people of his congregation are informed on those biblical principles. Um, you know, I don't know as a pastor that you come out and start, you know, as an individual, you can obviously endorse a candidate. Mm-hmm. Um, right. But you, the church probably sure. is probably better if the, if the church does it. Right. Now, right. in the past, it did before the Johnson Amendment did. And it may get to the point where as Christians and as churches, we're going to have to get over the fear of maybe losing our tax protection in mm-hmm. order to make sure the whole counsel of, of God is given. But I think it's important for pastors to make sure they're preaching about the issues of the day so that, you know, unfortunately, as a pastor, we can preach. We, we preach the foundational stuff, but modern day applications can get lost, I think, sometimes. Sure, sure. And when those modern day applications get lost, the lay person who... They, they come to church maybe once or twice a month. They they don't see the relevance of the Bible in their life today. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the challenges that pastors have today is how do you preach the scriptures and make it relevant for life today? Right. And I think if a pastor does that, then it goes a long way towards helping. And of course, encouraging his people to get out and vote, make Absolutely. sure they're registered. You know. Yes. Evangelical Christians are one of the largest voting blocks in the nation, but the numbers have been 25, 30% of Christians vote. Mm-hmm. You know, if Christians don't vote or even worse, Christians don't run for office, if we elect five atheists to the school board, should we be surprised when they outlaw prayer before the football game? That's right. Or should we be surprised when they bring in, uh, you know, curriculum that is anti-Bible or anti-American even? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't. And it's partially our fault because we didn't, a, didn't, we didn't do our homework and we ourselves are not stepping up to run for office and then supporting those candidates who hold our Christian values. Right. Right. 
I'll tell you what, you have so much great information and uh, sharing with us today. Thank you for joining us. I know you are very busy. You're getting ready to head out to another event in just a moment. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you live in District 67, to uh, go out and vote for Stephen Meeks and, um, you know, thankful for his conservative leadership. And I want to thank you for listening to the Patriot Pastors podcast, and we hope that you will join us again very soon. May the Lord bless you.